podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University, 97.5 WOBM, with special guest, Chelsea Suits from Buford, South Carolina. This is Tackling the Chicane. Uh, we must play our alma mater. <laughs> play our alma mater. We haven't been uh, together for a while, so... yeah. I just went back to the uh, the old school. Yeah, good to refresh everyone on the uh, on the old sort of anthem. At this point, uh, it has been about two weeks since we recorded last time we left off. We had just finished um, in Bahrain, um, and of course, this week on the show we're going to be covering all the on-track action from Saudi Arabia uh, and the Grand Prix that was. Also looking ahead to Australia, uh, which we're uh, about 10 days away from at this point. Um, And then on the soccer side of things, keeping an eye on the, perhaps at this point, the champions elect in the Premier League, Arsenal, and also, uh, I didn't really tell you this, but we're doing it. Uh, a quick checkup on the United States men's national team. Uh, we're at, on an international break. Uh, so two competitive matches coming up for the Stars and Stripes this weekend too as well. But uh, firstly, I want to say hello to Chelsea. Welcome on to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's kind of refreshing to have a, a female uh, Vox <laughs> compared to what we usually do. So good stuff. <laughs> Chelsea, I uh, admittedly am not sure on your knowledge of F1 or soccer, but I'm going to assume you don't know much. Is that safe to say? <laughs> that is very safe to say. Okay. Well, uh, perhaps we could, we could maybe, um, after we do our F1 coverage, um, Chelsea has explained to me that she's recently rekindled her love of NASCAR. So really we can speak a bit about maybe who her favorite driver is or, or, uh, okay. you know, uh, I think we talked the other evening about how you have, um, tickets to several races this year several races this year yeah i have definitely got you covered on the cup series okay well remind me after we discuss some open wheel racing in regards to f1 to uh pick your brain or you can pick mine uh on the nascar cup series yeah we'll jump back over to stock cars after (laughs) okay f1 business awesome well, Saudi Arabian uh, Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, uh, a Red Bull one. Yay! 
but uh, not not the evil emperor himself, Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, uh, Checo, as it were, uh, won Saudi Arabia. Just tell me, uh, refreshing for you? Uh, sort of excited for Checo? What do you think? Yes, um, but I will. I can't help but bring up the fact that Max still continues to dis- to frustrate me. Um, he just had to get that fastest fastest lap point. <laughs> yeah, and he couldn't. He could not let his teammate lead the series for one week. No. Competitive nature, possibly. The fact that he's kind of an asshole, probably the bigger card so. played there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got the snippet over the radio at the end, and he radios to his engineer, uh, what, uh, what's the fastest lap? And the engineer goes, we're not really concerned about that right now. And then yeah. he says, well, I am. <laughs> well, and, we're, and we all knew, I knew as soon as that conversation was had that he was going to take the fastest lap. He's no, he's no dummy. <laughs> what I don't get is you can't have, you need to sometimes have a shared victory, right? So there wasn't, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with Verstappen giving Checo the fastest lap and giving him at least for one week, just be up, up one on, on him in the series. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, Max does not yield no often or ever. So and maybe it's it's fair to say to become an F1 champion you can't really let off the gas at any point but uh I don't know to be determined I I do hope that this Perez Verstappen battle continues just as a neutral um I think it's no secret Red Bull themselves are going to be winning a constructors championship this year but i would like to see a a true driver's fight which we weren't really privy to last year so um so a little color yeah i guess a little color on the gp to start um drive shaft failure takes verstappen to 15th and i think we all knew that that wasn't going to be an issue for max and and it wasn't but um, interestingly enough, it, it sort of seems to duplicate the challenges that they had in the previous series. So they, they falter a bit, but they always end up to rise, you know, to the top. So Yeah, I think that's sort of what separates them from the rest of the field. I mean, any other team uh, with engine failure... Saturday, uh, that's usually bad news for the Sunday race. Um, not for Red Bull. I mean, it's coupled with the fact that you probably have the best driver, but something about that team is they just always do the right thing, even when stuff out of their control happens to them. Whereas you look at say Ferrari and we always bash on Ferrari but that's because it's it's been really easy to they they constantly goof up but Leclerc takes a penalty for I believe uh, a new battery uh you can correct me if that's wrong but starts 12th 
in this race and can only manage seventh. And it was pretty much a, a sort of a just milk toast performance from Leclerc and the Ferraris. Yeah. And before I, before we get to the actual finishing order, which is something to speak about, I was really impressed. You know, Stroll had never made it to Q3 in this race ever. So there's definitely some mentoring happening between Alonzo and Stroll. He's making Stroll a better and a stronger driver, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's very early in the series, but I honestly think that Aston is going to be a, a tick on the back of the dog you think year. so i do i do i think they're going to be there i think alonzo is going to take quite a few podiums this year yeah bar any catastrophic failures of mm-hmm. the aston team but it's really shaping up to be a better season than i thought it was going to be and we the 800 pound gorilla is Red Bull, we know that, but I'll I'll take my um, entertainment in everything sub P three at this yeah. point. Yeah, well, yeah, P three in the race and P two uh, in the constructors is going to be very interesting. Like you said, it seems like at this moment in time, after two races, Aston Martin and Mercedes are shaping up to have a fight of <laughs> fight of the decade of the century you know it, these are two teams that seem to be sort of on the same level performance wise i would actually give the advantage to aston martin at the moment but um and talent wise with the drivers in the seats i think they're also quite even um so that yeah that that aston martin team has really been a breath of fresh air to the series and has really made things interesting early on. I, I really like the finishing order of this race. And I mean, we've got, it's, it's nice to see Ferrari, um, kind of scratching their heads. I mean, uh, six for science, seventh for Leclerc, um, Mercedes in the mix. They had their own issues during the race, trying to figure out who was going to be P four versus P five. Um, mm-hmm. I think the o- only thing that makes me sad is I'm looking at the, uh, the variable between the, the, uh, the two Red Bull cars. And then Alonzo ended up, uh, over 20 seconds behind both of those cars. Yeah. That takes me back to my my first comment that, you know, this year, this series, you better be a fan of F1 uh, mid-pack, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone's going to be very far behind the Red Bull team. Yeah. But if I can get some entertainment out of watching P3 or P4 through seven or eight then i guess that's that's what i will do yeah for sure it, it's definitely like we've said a number of times now it's sort of red bull's world everyone else kind of living in it and it harkens back to uh formula 
Mercedes back in the day um, with Hamilton and Rosberg and then Baltas. Um, it's just right now one team is really nailed down this iteration of cars and rules and whatnot and arrow and everyone else is kind of at the mercy of them. Two more things I kind of want to point out before uh, we take this sort of lap by lap. Um, we got to talk about Kevin Magnuson's P10 opening up the points tally for Haas this year. Um, had a nice battle with Sonoda there towards the end. And obviously he won out for that last points position. Uh, I think encouraging si- encouraging signs for Haas and Haas fans. Well, let's face it. Anytime that Haas can get in the points is a good GP for Haas. And, you know, Hulkenberg was not too far behind Sonoda. Mm-hmm. So if we could, my goal this year is to see the Haas team finish double points. At just, some point. Just give me double points at some point. Yeah. Not to say point too much, but <laughs> I would love to see them do that. I think it's achievable. Um, they look They look really sharp. A little bit sharper than in the past, maybe, but it's very early, too. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, everything we are saying about performance and whatnot, you really have to take with a grain of salt because so many of these teams are going to bring out upgrades, and the, the cars will inevitably change throughout the season in performance and whatnot. So, like, you know, Aston Martin's in hog heaven right now, but Mercedes or whoever could put an upgrade out and be faster than them. So that is what you, when you are so early in this season um, with like 20 races left or whatever, it's still, you know, nothing's really set in stone, but uh, one last thing, one last point I want to make is uh, I think McLaren are, terrible right now just terrible i don't see how zach brown maintains his position if they finish where i think they're going to finish and honestly i think williams is going to finish above mclaren at just these two gps in that's what i see i i see a lot of um positive things that are going on at McCle- or at uh, Williams. I see a lot of horrible things that are happening at, at uh, McLaren. So if McLaren does indeed finish at the bottom end of the table after this series, this guy's on a, he's been on life support for a couple of seasons now. Yeah. I think it's been, two, three, maybe even four seasons where you could say they've kind of underperformed. Last year, they were beat out by Alpine, who I think had, um, well, they just had better hardware, but I think the driver lineup in general, obviously Fernando Alonso is Fernando Alonso, but uh, between the two, I you would favor McLaren with Norris and Ricardo, um, and they were beat out. And then this year with Piastri, who's actually sort of ran better than 
Uh, Norris so far, he finishes 15th, Norris 17th. Now, remember the first race, he Norris had to pit like six times or whatever, but sure. it, it does seem like they've really, really messed up things this early on. Um, obviously, time uh, time is on their side to fix things, and by no means are they condemned to the seller, but it's just, man, I didn't expect them to be this bad. So let me throw a question to Chelsea. Have you or do you plan to watch Drive to Survive on Netflix, which is the F1 docu-series? docu-series. I do plan to watch that series. I need to broaden my knowledge of the S1, F1 series if I'm going to hang <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Well, it's a good it's a good place to start because it's it's mildly entertaining and it might give you a little bit of passion to actually watch the GPs if you're dipping your toe back into NASCAR, um, which I project that there will be a there there will be a similar series for NASCAR um, vis-a-vis Drive to Survive. I, I, I think it's already in production. So if you're going to watch that, then you should also watch this. Are you trying to convert <laughs> me from my stock car? Heaven? No, I, hey, I, I enjoy both thoroughly. So this is not a, this is not conversion therapy by any means. Well, I definitely intend to watch. I'm very excited to learn more. I've yeah. enjoyed my first bit of this 2023 season with the NASCAR. So hopefully maybe I'll, I'll join both teams. Yeah. I think Drive to Survive just does well to get you familiarized with the personalities more than anything. I don't think it's going to teach you a ton about like the the automobiles that they drive or anything, but um, it will just kind of give you a, a, a nice background of sort of how things work racing-wise. But yeah. yeah just, I'd like a good buy-in to the yeah, sport. You know? I, I, I think, yeah. I think the, the the primary way to get into F1 is to enjoy the personalities first. I think that's obviously what attracts casual viewers, and it's certainly not an issue. If that's the way you get in, I think that's how most people have gotten into the series recently. I, it's This has nothing to do with either, but when I'm watching the VU meter and... I'm used to seeing the same kind of inflection when you and I talk. It's mm-hmm. funny that when you speak, it's almost a flat line. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I think it's just the, the tone of your voice, possibly. Yeah, I think it I just... Think the tone of my voice is severely helping this podcast. <laughs> I would say so, too, actually. It's just funny. <laughs> all yeah. technical stuff folks <laughs> yeah vu meters and whatnot super technical audio whatever jargon um why don't we get back on track and uh literally uh i want to talk kind of lap by lap about this race do you want to get us started with that yeah so let's not forget that you know while alonso had a very successful run in this race he did incur a penalty uh, from the previous race, which was um, imp- improper serving of time, I think. 
Well, the, his penalty was he lined up on the grid incorrectly for this oh, race. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Ocon was the one that had all those improper. Okay. This, I'm fast forwarding, but You're, yeah. they, they tried to throw another penalty at him later, and we'll, we can talk about that later. But yeah. yeah. I think you're going to see that incorrect box a lot this year because they didn't enforce it much no. until right now. And they let guys have a little bit of slack in the box. And we're talking about left to right slack in the box, not forward to forward slack in the box. Yeah, no. Um, but because these guys have a procedure for trying to heat tires, basically what they do is when they grid – and they're coming into their box, they'll give the car one last big push, and they'll spin the rear tires to heat them up, and what it does is it'll set the car off left or right in the box. And up until this year, for some reason, the stewards decided this year that we're going to really watch, make sure that four wheels are in, where before I don't think it was that big of a deal. No, and it couldn't have been, as you saw Ocon the first week and then Alonzo who's the most experienced driver on the grid doing it so it does seem like something a, a bit of a interpretation of the rules that race control or the FIA has really seemed to get pretty um, strict about I would say but uh, nevertheless Alonzo actually leads this race for all of about a lap if that few corners he does take the lead from Perez right away yeah and you know the hopeful person in, in me was like okay he's he might be able to lead this race for a fair number of laps um but it was yeah it was like three laps I'm looking at my notes now which is enough I mean yeah. just to see another team up there and doing things is 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 great. Um, mm -hmm. Lap eighteen. Apparently, Stroll had an issue with his car, which brought out a yellow flag and a safety, um, which didn't help because that you know Max was a fair a fair distance behind. Mm -hmm for that yellow flag safety car and then that brought the field back together yeah and that is maybe the reason he finished second i mean it's maybe a safety i think car. if it had this gone green the whole time the whole race and no safety car no yellow he would have really struggled i think to get back to that position yeah i just think you know a green flag pit stop is a lot different than a safety car pit stop they were mentioning on the broadcast, and I kind of feel the same way. Maybe we were a little trigger happy with bringing out the safety car for this one. Um, Lance Stroll pulls off, looks like his brakes overheated. Um, and they said on the broadcast that whatever the GPS tracker on the cars that uh, basically said that a, a portion of his car was on the track and therefore the safety car had to come out, but it could not have been very serious. I mean, it, it was not no, it, a big it, incident it, at all. It begs the question of is, 
does the FIA do things like that because they know that they're trying to structure the race to make it more interesting <laughs> or do they do it because they just make a last second call that, Oh, we got to send the safety car out. It, it, it yeah. seems to vary depending on the situation, depending on where the car is, if there was debris, I don't, I don't think there was in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, uh, so goes F1. Yeah. Uh, probably should point out that Piastri and Norris both take front wing damage like early on in this race. So probably a contributing factor of why they finished so poorly. It will be interesting to see um, at Australia if they can maybe right the ship a little bit, get back in the points. Um, it has been two races of sort of unfortunate circumstances for McLaren, but even still, they don't seem to have much race pace. Um, yeah, so after the safety car, we have my next note is lap 22, which is Lewis Hamilton overtakes science, and this it just seems like Ferrari aren't as strong as they should be or as I thought they would be. And I don't know what you have noticed with that, but prob- I mean, last year they would have not really been easily overtaken by a, the Mercedes in a race, especially early on in the year. Yeah, for me, it's typical Ferrari, but I think when at when the laundry's clean <laughs> at the end of this season, they'll be right where they are, where they typically are. Um, I don't know what what it is with that team, why they can't get their shit together. You know, Fred Vasseur, who took over for Matteo Bonato. He's not really, he hasn't really shown yet and early, I know two GPs in, but I'm not seeing a huge difference between the two. Right. So it seems like confusion. Yeah. I, you know, it's really hard to say what is exactly going wrong with that team. Haven't seen any of their traditional strategy blunders yet. Um, it's tough when you're, you're kind of ace and Leclerc has to start from 12th. But I think just in general, their, uh, their race pace just hasn't been where it should be. Um, and the reliability of the car is definitely still a big question after the whole electronics issue, the first race. So we'll see. I just, it seems like they're just stumbling a lot in, it's not making for super happy uh, Tifosi, as it were. So we'll have to see what's going on there. But by lap 23, you have, and this is post-safety car, like we said, Verstappen breezing past Russell and then breezes past Alonzo into second. And that was at the point where um, – Crofty on the broadcast goes, uh, it's like F1 versus F2 with Verstappen. Like he's just on a completely different planet right now. Yeah. And I think we're going to continue to see that. Yeah. There's just not even that much to analyze right now with that because he's so much faster. 
So Alex Albon goes out on lap 29 in the Williams car. Um, I have a note here that it's still my favorite livery for some reason. I don't think <laughs> the car just looks really good. Uh, the team was decked out in golf colors, which will skew my view of everything. So, <laughs> Big golf fan. Uh, disappointing for Albon, obviously. Uh, he's At that point, I think he was P12, maybe fighting for points. And Sargent was also up there. He had a little issue later on and then <laughs> finished kind of low. A disappointing uh weekend i think all around for williams after a i would say pretty strong beginning but still probably better than alfatari per capita um and fighting with mclarens at this point so still a lot to be positive about there yeah and then i also have uh some notes on Verstappen loves to radio in that something that he's hearing things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, lap 39, he's, he's hearing, he's radioed twice that he's hearing some kind of odd vibration in the car. Yep. And, um, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. How much of that is just them trying to fucking bullshit the rest of the, <laughs> the grid. I don't know. It's, yeah, uh, it's hard to say. he, mentioned something about the drive shaft <laughs> i don't maybe know because they had the failure you yeah. know during qualifying that he it, it was in his head that yeah something, something else was going to happen he was i think he might have been afraid that something else was going to break but it always cracks me up because he'll make those radio calls and then he'll just fucking bust ass yeah, it's yeah, like the next three laps. I mean, so. he sets the fastest lap in the race, so it's right. like how much semblance or like how how important was that radio call? Anyways, it's also just amazing to me how you're flying around at 200 miles an hour and radioing, and I think I there's something wrong with the drive shaft. Like I just I just can't even comprehend how I could. It, yeah. The only way I'm radioing in about something wrong is if it's actively hindering me racing but i just don't get how they do that but yeah why they're the best of the best yeah so this was a lap wise it's only a 50 lap race but that's because it's such a long track yeah and uh and lap 46 magnuson you know passes sonoda and then for 10th position and then Immediately within a half a lap puts almost 10 seconds on the Alphatari car. So I couldn't help but think how, how much was he being held back and for how many laps was he being blocked by Sonoda? And then he, when he does make the overtake, he puts 10 seconds on the car in a half a lap. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it ended up being closer at the end, but he did actually, like you said, put a, a pretty wide margin on uh, Alphatari, and I was a little concerned after the first race, maybe Haas uh, didn't show up to the season with a super great vehicle, but it does seem like they 
they do actually have some pace. Um, I think they're going to be battling for the scraps uh, of points, which I think pretty much everyone thought would be the case. But it does seem like they're getting consistent performances out of Magnuson, which wasn't always the case. So it is nice to see that happening. All right. So fair enough. And honestly, I think we have some time off. I think we have a week in between. It looks like the Australian GP is coming up. Um, April 2nd, I believe. Right. P1 is going to be the 30th of March. Today we are the, what, 24th? 23rd. Yeah. 23rd. So we have seven days. Yeah. And we'll wait until the next pod to to talk about the track and whatnot. So we've got a little bit of time in, in between. Um, I am going to check the plumbing and I will throw it to Chelsea and yourself to let Chelsea, uh, give you a little bit of background on who her favorite NASCAR driver is and maybe <laughs> tell us a little bit about the races that you're going to attend here this year before we get into, uh, soccer stuff. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Take it away, Chelsea. Uh, I didn't even, I, I never would have thought you would really be into NASCAR, if I'm being completely honest. But Are you unprepared for my level of knowledge? I wasn't, I did not come into the recording session thinking I would be talking to, about NASCAR with you, but I am happy to do so. All right, well, let me give you a brief insight to where I'm sitting <laughs> in this uh, 2023 Cup Series season. <laughs> Um, I do have a favorite driver. Um, I'm here to represent track house racing. Oh, two drivers, as I'm sure, you know, yeah, uh, Daniel Suarez in the 99 and the ultimate Ross Chastain in the number one at the <laughs> health Chevrolet. He is the superior currently third in standing, but we're going to make our way back to the top. So we've had a pretty eventful uh, first five races to the season. Um, I was able to make it to the world-famous Daytona 500 for our season opener. And that was a really interesting race to catch live, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was my yeah. first one back uh, into the sport. And it was NASCAR's first double overtime after their change in the overtime rules. So yep, yep. I was uh, very privileged to be there in person to see that. And you, uh, you. we went on to the next uh, through the next four races after that uh, with some pretty interesting um, events that took place with some of the major garage players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, just last week, wh- where were we last week? We were in Atlanta last week. Atlanta, yeah, yeah. Uh, he R- Chastain was involved but then was cleared of any wrongdoing when harvick spun out in the lead uh instantly and i think tony stewart in the booth was like um insinuating that chastain might have wrecked harvick or spun him out uh it wasn't the case but i think it's weird but i i think that it was pretty obvious that that he took that draft away in a in a fairly intentional manner yeah, I mean everything was deliberate, but didn't didn't make contact. But I think it is fair to say that Chastain hasn't won a ton of fans in the garage. Is that fair to say? 
I would say that that is absolutely fair to say. Um, I think it's pretty interesting coming off of last season where Chastain was known for his Martinsville all the wall yeah. event where he had some pretty creative racing going on. Um, I think they're a small team and we don't have a lot, uh, a lot of teammates out there. So he gets creative no. sometimes. He's probably not winning any, any fans or any friends in the garage, but I'm no, interested in who he does this season. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, are you of equal, uh, enjoyment between Suarez and Chastain or do you favor one over the other oh I absolutely favor Chastain over the other however I think that Daniel Suarez is coming out pretty hot this season yeah with the first five races he's got quite a few top 10 finishes and he's I think he's one of those sleepers you know we don't pay a lot of attention to him but he's getting a lot of action in the first couple races this season yeah he's been really consistent uh, which is always a pretty much a fast pass to success in NASCAR just being there at the finish and in the top of the top half of the field top tens uh gets you a lot of points so uh I myself am a Bubba Wallace fan I don't know if dad told you that or not but that's who I go for the number 23 McDonald's Toyota Camry machine uh that's that is my guy. Me and my friend Jaden are are Bubba Wallace fans, and then uh, of the the crew that I watch NASCAR with weekly, um, we've got a William Byron fan, actually a Chastain fan, and then um, two Ryan Blaney fans. Uh, interestingly, I don't know if you know, but Ryan Blaney has ties to Ohio, um, Hamilton Township, which is near the the PA border, um, which, you know, a great part of the state. Um, my friend Ben, uh, apparently his family sends a Christmas card to Ryan Blaney's grandma every year. So I think Ryan Blaney is the son of Dave Blaney. Dave Blaney, yeah. Um, who's a big outlaw dirt track racer yeah he was a big dirt track guy and sort of a um let's be brutally honest sort of a, a field filler for the cup series didn't ever really do much but his okay. son has gotten a ride with roger penske's team and is quite good actually he didn't win any races last year besides the all-star race but he is pretty much a lock to finish in the top 10 every week and unless he wrecks uh, what my friend has kind of been recently sort of pissed about is how Joey Logano gets all the favors on the Penske team. And he felt that Roger Penske, uh, did not really help Blaney try and win the race just this past week and told Blaney to help Logano win. And I think that was uh very obvious at Atlanta. I think, uh, I think your friend's pretty spot on with that yeah. one. Joey Logano takes a lot from that team, and he's currently our, our number one standing right now, especially after his win last weekend. Yeah, and his fresh uh, hair piece that he got this season. Yeah, he is rocking some longer hair. He's doing a lot of bro broadcasting for the Xfinity series, which yeah. has been very interesting. It's weird because he's kind of gotten the reputation of being two-faced, which 
it works well when you're in the booth because he's like just this really likable guy, but then he's just a total fucking douche on the track. <laughs> All right, everyone pause for one second. No one say anything. Racing douchebag. <laughs> There's your uh, your vocal effects there, which I think kind of segues into what I wanted to ask you next. Are there any drivers that you don't like well um you know i had one in mind but uh given your current fan base i will you don't like bubble wallace i am the only thing about bubble wallace that i enjoy is that he drives a toyota camry and <laughs> okay. that is it. Um, i don't have i don't have a lot to back it up i will admit um i feel like you just you get your bias on the track a little bit and he's one of the ones that when he doesn't finish a race, I'm cheering. So um, I will take that back a notch. And uh, no, it's fine. I will I can... try to see what I can do. But um, I think that uh, William Byron, your other uh, friend fan pick, is mm-hmm. uh, definitely crushing it uh, with his two wins already this season. Yeah. Uh, the unfortunate thing for him is our most recent controversy with. Hendrick Motorsports penalties yeah. at yeah. Phoenix. Um, I think if they can get a handle on their modified hood louvers, we could uh, move on with this season. Wow. Listen, <laughs> you know, I would have any content. I'm flabbergasted, actually. I, I didn't, I really didn't know. Well, like I said, I came in 42 minutes ago not knowing you like NASCAR. And then I, when you told me, the, uh, I didn't know what you're knowledge of nascar was but this is actually quite impressive well thank you i appreciate your vote of confidence I actually think it's really ironic that we are discussing nascar on this week's podcast as we go into the circuit of americas this weekend yeah which is right up your alley with love the road race yep the first it's... track uh, i think in the usa that was built um primarily for the premise of Formula, Formula One. One. Yeah, 2012, I think, was when it opened. A little shocked. <laughs> yeah. Back. So, Are you guys doing okay? I'm doing fine. I was worried I wasn't going to be able to hang, but I no. feel like you guys underestimated me a little bit. Admittedly, I think it's fair to say, Dad, your peak NASCAR knowledge was maybe in times gone by. Um, uh, uh, probably 2003. Yeah, like Rusty Wallace era. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Blue Deuce. The Blue Deuce, the Miller Lite machine. Uh, don't think Bubba Wallace will be impressing at Coda. Not really a uh, road a racer. Road race. More yeah. of your super speedway guy. Um, what are your expectations? So who, who, who are the, yeah, who are the road race AJ Who are the guys that, uh, that shine on uh, when you have to turn more than one direction? Well, I think that we're going to see something from Almendinger this weekend. Yeah. So that that would be my my pick going in. Um, just off a hunch, not on a betting order, but yeah, I feel like it's definitely going to be an interesting race. Um, since my rekindling of love for the sport, this is my first uh, road race that I'm going to catch. So. I'm interested to see what the next 68 laps in Texas do for us. <laughs> so Almond, that, yeah, go that, ahead. It's a Sunday 
Sunday yeah. race. It is, yeah. Uh, NASCAR qualifying is probably uh, prior day. Usually. So we'll try to um, get that up on one of the screens here at 2520 <laughs> and just see what happens. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd love to pick that one apart lap by lap. I think, well, we, hell, I mean, I'll, I'll, you could come on again. I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Almondinger's usually your safe pick to be there at the end. Didn't Chastain win at Coda last year? He did. He has had he, some remarkable success at Coda, but. He actually wrecked uh, someone to win that, if I'm not mistaken, on the final corner. Uh, that would be Almendinger. Yeah. Okay. On so that that's who I thought it was. Yeah. That was sort of when the whole Chastain likes to make risky moves thing sort of really caught fire. Which I think is just uh, nature of the beast in this one. I mean, another yeah. one of my least favorite drivers is going to be Kyle Busch. He's been in the sport forever and uh, he's a talented, talented driver. But FKB. He, uh, he has some. Rowdy. He's not making a lot of fans out there recently. No. Is it so. is it Kurt or Kyle who's rowdy? Which one? Rowdy, rowdy is Kyle. Okay. Kurt has since retired due to mostly injury, but yeah. Um, Kurt actually was a super big hothead in his day, though. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Well, and Kyle is with uh, Richard Childers Racing this year, so yeah, new ride. Yeah, we'll see how he's going to do in his new ride. It seems like he's just fine at the moment. There's, you know, he hasn't won yet. I think that's only a matter of time, but. Well, I uh, think so, too. I mean, the man gets a lot of time behind the wheel with his ridiculous racing in all three series. He races in the Craftsman truck and in the Xfinity, and then he comes out on Sundays and tries to dominate the cup, too. So I just, you know, I'm tired of looking at him, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. unfortunately has maybe the the worst guy to ever crew around the number three Chevy ever in Austin Dillon. Uh, I hate Austin Dillon. (laughs) No no talent. And obviously he has a ride because Richard Childress is his grandpa. So there you have it. (laughs) It needs to be said. Yeah. The truth hurts. Well, I I could go on about NASCAR for a, a much longer, and maybe we can have you on again and discuss. We, we should uh, we, we'll stamp a show in the future that will be. Of course, we 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 must cover F one. We must cover some soccer, but we could do a NASCAR centric show. Maybe yeah, I would be ha- happy to do that. The, the quadrum of. I don't know if you're, I don't think your brother's a huge NASCAR fan. Um, I don't think he shares in the love for the sport like I do, but he seems to always have an opinion. So he might, <laughs> might be able to, I mean, with well, yeah. at, the end, at the end of the day, the Lucius family is a, a car centric racing centric family. So we will watch any, any series at any given time. Um, whether that be IndyCar, NASCAR, F1, um, 
I'm a huge fan of, of drag racing. Um, so who knows? I mean, we're 30 ish, 32 ish shows in, maybe we'll dip into the, uh, you know, some other stuff. Yeah. I'd love to help you out with that. I've got three <laughs> more races on the books for this season. So yeah. Just before we get off NASCAR, what, uh, races are you going to? Um, I am going to Charlotte here at the end of May, and then I will be at uh, Darlington and Martinsville this year. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a pretty Im- impressive four races you've attended. Yeah, I'm hoping you know, I can only uh, broaden that spectrum. I think uh, Talladega would actually be a really cool racetrack to uh, catch, so maybe next season I'll add that one to my list. Yeah, that would be fun. And of course, closer to Ohio, you got the Brickyard, uh, Michigan. Um, that's pretty much it. Pocono's yeah. like set six hours, but yeah, they're yeah. actually racing at a. They opened back up North Wilkesbury this. Uh, yeah. Season. So well, I think that'll be interesting. That that asphalt has seen some laps, so we'll see what what comes out of that race as well. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see for the uh, the All Star race. All right. Well, again, could talk about NASCAR for a while, but we do have a couple more things to talk about. Uh, completely shifting gears uh, away from motorsport and into soccer. Um, the Lucius family, as you said, uh, car centric. Hopefully, maybe I can spread some of the soccer gospel while you're here um i think uh a sport everyone should at least pay at least a remote amount of attention to um it is the world's game for god's sakes but uh before we get into arsenal and crystal palace in the premier league um we have an upcoming international break which basically is a time where the club season kind of takes a quick pause and uh, the national teams play. So right now in Europe, for example, um, you have the European Championship qualifiers. Uh, those are next summer. Um, closer to home and where, what the U.S. will be doing um, is the CONCACAF Nations League, which um, to kind of water it down into layman's terms is basically just a, a tournament to get some of the smaller North American nations and Caribbean nations, like an opportunity to play competitive games um, before they would have like a lot of friendlies or a, a long time between games where they weren't really playing much soccer. So I think it's just the Federation's way of trying to strengthen uh the entire region and and play more meaningful games and because of that um we pretty much have um the team that played in the world cup playing uh this window in the nation's league minus a few names due to injury or what have you but um just looking at some of the guys that were called in for this camp for the U.S. that you might not have heard of or did not attend the World Cup. You have um, Zach Steffen, longtime Columbus Crew goalkeeper, 
currently with Middlesbrough in England. Uh, he was probably very unlucky or just was unlucky not to be at the World Cup. Um, some new defenders, um, Austin Trusty, who plays for Birmingham City in England. Uh, Mark McKenzie's back for the first time in a while. Same with Brian Reynolds. Interestingly, uh, a name we know quite well on the show, Cameron Carter-Vickers, not called in. So, Oh. Yeah. Uh, not real thrilled about that. I know. I, I'm a little perplexed, but we're, these games are competitive games, and they do count for something, but it's not exactly life or death. If you, if you want a dynamic player, then you need Carter Vickers on the field. Yeah, and I think he kind of has solidified his position with the national team after the World Cup. Um, I think people were impressed um, who haven't been watching him for Celtic. I mean, obviously me and you watch him almost every week. So I know what he can bring to the table. You know what he can bring to the table. Uh, just interesting to see he didn't get called in. Um, no one super new. Uh, Alan Senora, who I actually don't really know much about, admittedly, uh, in the midfield. Um, one of the newer kind of recruits for this uh, national team. Um, Johnny Cardoso, who plays in Brazil, got called in. And then sort of your usual suspects. And then Taylor Booth who plays for the Nether in, in the Netherlands for Utrecht. He has really had a great season there, earned his first call-up. And then Alex Zendejas, who I believe plays for Club America in Mexico, called in as well. So that's kind of your roster. Um, we will, or I'm telling you now, we will probably cover a little USMNT next podcast. They have a couple games coming up that I think we should follow and watch. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but for now, and we can end the show on this note, we have some uh, action in the Premier League between Arsenal and Crystal Palace. And we have watched Arsenal quite a bit this season. Just wanted to kind of pick your brain, I guess. Is this one of the... I feel like it's the most entertaining team in the Premier League to watch. Do you think that's fair? Entertaining, uh, for sure. This particular match um, was a bit slow for me. Um, you know, we went pretty far into the first half. Um, Zahar hits a really hard left post shot um mm -hmm. that didn't go in it it was inches away from going in um in the 16th another shot from zahar um and then the goal for uh i think it was uh martinelli yeah it's gabriel martinelli goal. yeah and then once once uh as a lot of these matches go, once that first goal happens, off to the races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you I know, think that's hard to say. And I didn't think C. I didn't think CP was, and I don't think anyone thought that CP was ever going to come back from the that first goal. But then there were some other 
ancillary things that happened. Yeah. Put this match by the second half. This, this match was kind of a kick around. Mm -hmm. Um, No, that's definitely fair to say. I mean, crystal palace came into this match on one of the worst like forms um, in the league. Uh, They're, they're uh, right now, like just hovering above relegation. It's like very, very, very tight. uh, The relegation battle, just looking at the table, in 20th, you have Southampton with 23 points. Um, and then you have Crystal Palace in 12th, which is eight positions away, um, on 27 points. So they're four points from rock bottom, but in 12th. Um, they had an interim manager for this match. So Patrick Vieira, who has been their manager all of this season and the season before, uh, got the axe, basically. He... Uh, the, the form had really gone for Crystal Palace. They weren't scoring many goals, and obviously you saw sort of their offensive struggles in this one. And interestingly, they rehired a manager, Roy Hodgson, who was their manager for a number of years, um, especially when I first started paying attention to the Premier League. And uh, he's 75 years old, so I'm not really sure what the, the game plan is for that. But um, I really do think Arsenal are the best team to watch in the league right now. And I'm not just saying that because they're top of the league, eight points above Man City after 28 matches. Um, But they just play such fluid football, I think is fair to say. No team that I've watched this season in the Premier League plays a one-two ball better than Arsenal or I you know the the quick pace of play and I know you said and I think it's fair that this game definitely started a little slow but when the ball got rolling I mean they were practically unplayable yeah so you know like 43rd minute in the first half through 63rd minute it was very entertaining to watch yeah um other than that it was it was a tick tick tack fest yeah and i think that just happened to come from the fact that arsenal were a lot better on the day it it did seem like while crystal palace had a, a couple of times where they were threatening and obviously they do end up getting a goal um from a free kick or a corner, um, it did seem like Arsenal had total control of this match and kind of pick pick and chose when they would really put the pedal to the metal. And when they did, uh, they usually ended up scoring. So 28th minute, Martinelli opens it up. Obviously, uh, a a great goal there. Uh, Saka, who was a, a total nuisance for the crystal palace defense in this one crosses to martinelli who then kind of makes a move to get himself free which is awesome and then fires a strike to the right of whitworth the young palace keeper i thought Saka was fantastic in this match um yeah i have a lot of capital letters for (laughs) Saka in this match um Dynamic, uh, good, fancy feet. 
Yeah. You know, just, and, and that's, that's what makes some of these matches fun for me to watch is, you know, when a guy gets possession of the ball and then we'll do, we do things with the ball that I oftentimes have to rewind certain plays Mm -hmm. to watch, but yeah. Yeah, no, he, he, he's very dynamic and always just so explosive with and without the ball. It seems like he's always in the right position at the right time, which is really a, a key indication of, of a player that is good, you know? Um, yeah. Interesting to hear you say that you rewind a lot. And I think that's actually a good habit to get into with soccer because oftentimes the pace of play changes so quickly that you can kind of almost be lulled to sleep. Uh, and some teams do that where it's like they, they will just kind of be very monotonous and then boom, something quick, a quick run right. down the right wing and, or a cross field pass totally bust open the defense and it's off to the races. And you really, what happens in goals is, yeah, obviously the guy has to, it, to simple it down, the guy has to kick the ball in the net, but there's so many other things that lead to goals more often than not. It's interesting right. to see how those play out. And I think there's no better team in the Premier League right now than Arsenal to kind of show that how that works. Um, I think it was their third or fourth goal where it, their third goal that Xhaka ends up scoring is played in... I think it was Prasard to Xhaka. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was... Yeah, that that's... Was, that was some... That was some pretty cool shit. Yeah. Trossard has been a, a very good signing for them. And it was actually a guy they weren't initially looking out for. They lost out on a deal to Mikhailo Mudrik, who went to Chelsea. And they signed Leandro Trossard from Brighton. And he has really paid off. Uh, I think he had three assists in the match previous to this one and an assist here. A, a beautiful uh, ball into Xhaka, who just is kind of able to tap it home. And oftentimes, tap-ins are indicators of well-worked goals. And like I said, Arsenal are sort of the kings of that. Um, sort of a, a weird happening with Schlupp uh, from Crystal Palace. Uh, kind of, I don't know, it was like a just a, a goal that came out of nowhere, and then there was your VAR. It was beget off of a corner kick, and then it was just one of those, it was kind of a (laughs) loosey-goosey, and it just happened to dip in. Yeah. The way I saw it, I don't... Yeah, I don't have much, like, analysis to it, other than there was the the VAR handball thing. Um, Obviously the goal was given. So, right. Um, the, r- despite the four, one scoreline, there actually was quite a bit of decent chances from, um, crystal palace, uh, in the 72nd minute, there's a, a chance from Zaha that goes just wide. Yep. Very close. Yeah. And, um, 
it only took three minutes after that, though, to, for Arsenal to pretty much totally put this game away with uh, Bukayo Saka. Another goal for him. And uh, it's sort of a, a ping pong between him and uh, Martinelli. Um, again, just another well-worked Another well-worked goal. It, yeah. They just are so good at that. Um, between Martinelli, Trossard, and um, Saka, they are just so explosive. They are almost... <laughs> no defense in the Prem, other than maybe like Man City this year, have really shown to be able to stop them. Um, probably, for my money, the, the best front line in the league right now. And I really am starting, to, and maybe I'm a little late, but I think starting to believe that Arsenal are going to be crowned champions here uh, in May. Um, just a quick glance at the table. Arsenal first, 69 points. Man City have played a game less, um, but on 61 points, and then a pretty big gap between... Man City and Man United in third with 50 points. Uh, do you think Arsenal are kind of, it's their title to lose at this point? How many games left? Uh, 10 matches left. Uh, I think it, it could be any. I think Arsenal's probably in the cat seat position, but mm -hmm. Man City could easily close that gap in 10 games. Yeah, they and they actually point. do play each other yet. So, uh, I, I think it maybe, uh, would be best for Arsenal not to rest on their laurels. For and sure. then we, we end the season in what month? May. And then we start again when? Uh, like mid August. Right. So like a, it pretty much like a summer, the, the season of summer, right. like how right. How F1 is off in the winter type deal. So, yeah, that's yeah, uh, that's sort of our soccer analysis for the week. Like I said, um, definitely we'll have some U.S. Uh, national team focus next time we record. Um, looking forward to the first game tomorrow night. Um, be setting the DVR for that one. Against Granada uh, should be a pretty easy win, but I always just like to use games like that to scout out sort of your new or young talent. Um, obviously, more important games coming up for the U.S. down the line, but should definitely excited to see them uh, in full force again since the World Cup. Um, and then we'll be previewing the Australian GP next time around as well. Correct. So, any um, parting thoughts from Chelsea? Ooh, parting thoughts. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope that I can uh, bring some NASCAR light and love into this podcast. I think it needs <laughs> it. Um, but I hope that we can catch up in the next couple races, especially after this uh, road course this weekend. So, I look forward to it. Yeah, definitely. Should be a lot of fun in the NASCAR world this weekend. All right. Well, I think you can take her away. 
as we normally do, let's get going. Four executive producers Richard Tanaka, Scott Dixon, Pete Detzler. Studio 2520, copyright 2023. This is Tackling Michigan. <laughs> 